I just want to pick up on, on that, that song we were singing. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect, God. You are perfect in all of your ways. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think part, the, the, one of the biggest um, wrestles, I think, in our heart as Christians, as we follow the Lord, is to trust that he is perfect in all of his ways. And that his way for me and my life is perfect. And there's a, there's a, a trusting of the Lord. Because when we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it's easy to think that that's saying, okay, okay, Christianity is true, right? There's lots of ways to the Father know that Jesus is the way to the Father. So Christianity is the true religion, which, which is true. But to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, means to be a follower of Christ. Means that just like the disciples, Jesus said, come follow me. And they walked with him. It wasn't just like Jesus is the way in the broad sense, but they literally... Where they slept that night, um, where they would, which town they would go to, the itinerary for every each day was determined by keeping in step with Jesus, Amen. And, it's, and the same is true for us, that Jesus has got a way for you. He's got a, he's got a life for you to live, and that life is only going to be lived to the fullness if we if we live it in step with the Holy Spirit, Amen. So I want to just. Um, Maybe start with something a little bit left field. Sometimes you know I like to start left field and then we move more towards the center as we go. So maybe you can put up a quotation from Steve Jobs. It's a little bit echoey on this mic. I'm starting to feel like I'm in a cave. So if we could try and fix that. Um, So Barbara likes to keep me accountable because she's on AV. And every time I go and I give her my scriptures, she says, so you are going to be teaching from the Bible this morning. Hey, Luke? So, so she, she, saw, she saw this quotation, and I think that's maybe what prompted the question. Um, we, we are going to go to the Bible, but we're going to start with Steve Jobs, uh, the, late, the late Steve Jobs. Um, invented Apple and the phones and all of that. Doesn't need any introduction, eh? Steve Jobs, you all know the, all know the guy. He said, um, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow know what you truly want to become. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow know what you truly want to become. It's profound, eh? Profoundly wrong. Maybe before I go, can someone grab me a a little water? It'll be great. Coach, can you? So, um... Uh, the reason why I put this quotation up, I know that many of us would know, actually, as Christians, we don't follow our heart. We follow Jesus. So, <laughs> thank you. That's great. Wow, donating your own water. I think they are going to bring me one, though, so maybe you can hang on to that. I, I'd, but you know what? The Lord says if, if you even give a cup of cold water to someone, it's like you gave it to Jesus. So you just gave Jesus a bottle. So this morning, um, I want to kind of speak to two different audiences. Those of you who have just started following Jesus, and you're kind of learning the basics, 
And then for some of us who've maybe been following Jesus for a long time, I'll speak to you as well. So the, the, the title of this message, which I felt the Lord drop onto my heart, is Don't Follow Your Heart, Follow Jesus. That's the title of this message. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Now, if you're a new believer, that might be quite a controversial thing for you to hear. That might be fly completely in the face of everything that you've heard about living a life to the fullness. Because it's such a mantra that's a part of our generation that, it, that your heart intuitively knows the journey to its own fulfillment. To live your best life, right? Is to follow your heart. And usually that's, uh, they'll say things like, you know, don't follow um, your mind and logic and reason dogmatically because it's your heart that will intuitively know which way to go. Some people will say, don't follow the crowds. Follow your heart. Some people will say, so those are the kinds of things that are often contrasted. Contrasting my mind and my thoughts, logic with my heart. Contrasting the crowds and their desires for me and my heart. But actually the Bible doesn't contrast any of those things. The Bible contrasts following my heart versus following Jesus. And I, I, I want to give two reasons why the Bible would encourage you or Jesus would encourage you and exhort you to follow Jesus rather than your heart. The first reason is positive. The first reason is that Jesus knows far better what will lead you into the fullness of what God has for you than your heart does. I'll give you a very practical example of, of this for me personally. When I was um, in matric, I didn't know what career path to follow. Um, I was very conflicted because I just recommitted my life to Christ. So the carnal side of me just wanted to do basically anything that would make me the most amount of money. And so my goal was to get rich, to get spectacularly rich. And whichever career path, regardless of which career path, so long as it ends with, with a pot of gold at the end. So I was thinking of becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, I was thinking of becoming an advocate. I actually job shadowed an advocate in my matric year. You know, when they're trying to help you to find what you're going to do the following year, I job shadowed an advocate. But in the other half of me, I felt the Lord pulling in a different direction, and I was very conflicted. So fortunately, I had the luxury of a, of a gap year. But even in my gap year, I went and studied at UCT the following year, and I was pursuing a career in journalism. I like to write. I like to express myself with words. And so I pursued a career with journalism, and I got a massive loan to the tune of 100,000 rand. Now, that doesn't sound a lot now, but that was 2015. And so that's probably about a million rand now. Um, 2005, I always get ten, a decade wrong. So if ever I give you a date, just either add or subtract a decade. So if I ever tell you I'm 26 years old, just forgive me and add a decade, right? Just, it's either 10 more or less. Not 16, no, no, not 16. And so I, I, I got this massive loan, and at that time, you know, you just left home, you know, you're carefree, living, living lucky, and then suddenly you've got this 100,000... K resting on your shoulders, and I had some serious anxiety because I was like, Lord, I think this is the way I need to go, but if I get this wrong, this has got spectacular results for me because anyway, two years into my degree, I realized this is actually not what I want to do with my life. So I had this massive crisis now because now I'm like, I totally don't want to go into journalism because it's going to pay me peanuts and I don't like the industry, and I've got a 100,000 rand loan resting on my shoulders, and so I had some chronic anxiety uh, Issues And I took two weeks to pray about, Lord, what do you want me to do right now? I am 
up against it. I don't know what to do. And in that week, the two weeks I fasted and I prayed, I, I spoke to about three or four people independently of each other, completely unplanned, who were school teachers. I remember the one was on a camp. We went away to Bainscliffe, and this one guy was just telling me stories of what it was like when he was a school teacher. And as these guys started speaking, something started stirring in my heart, something of faith. But now I was in a crisis because I hated school. In fact, I, lo- I-, I loved to hate school. That's how much I hated school. It was, it was like a hobby of mine to hate school. I hated school. Uh, and it was like everything that's wrong with life, you know, is school. For me personally. Um, and now I felt like the Lord possibly stirring my heart to go into teaching. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. I, I don't understand, Lord. I, I, I'm... But, but, but because I was so up against it, I was like, Lord, I'm going to have to literally follow you blindly right now. So I'm going to take a blind leap of faith. I feel like you've spoken to me quite clearly, but I, I, it doesn't it make any sense at all. And I went and I, st- I changed my degree, and I went and applied to do a PGCE, which about half of this congregation is busy doing currently. And, and I discovered there was a, bur- a bursary offer being offered by the government, which I applied for and got, and they back paid me and paid off my whole student loan. And then in the first week of teaching prac, which was like, I think, of the second semester, I went into a school for the first time and taught my first lesson. And I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I'd go home every day and I was think, I'd think, how do I love this? Why do I love this? I hated school. Why am I loving teaching in school? And I just realized the wisdom of God, the profound wisdom of God. God knew I would love teaching. I had no idea. I was a blind leap of faith. But my illustration here is that if you, you either follow your heart or you follow Jesus, you think if you follow your heart, it's going to lead you into your best life now. But actually, it's only as you follow Jesus. Sometimes it feels like you're walking in the dark, that you actually walk in the full purposes of what God's called you to. So that's the positive aspect. The negative aspect to following your heart versus following Jesus is in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. We're going to look at two or three scriptures now about what the Bible says about our hearts. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. I've just put my name in there. Luke Halley's heart. You can feel free to do the same. Say, we'll put my name in there. You're not going to put your name in there, Dave. Okay. That's how deceitful your heart is, Dave. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the Bible teaches us that our heart is an unreliable guide for life because it's deceitful and what it means when it says that our heart is deceitful is that we have conflicting motivations in our hearts some of our motivations are pure and godly and good righteous other-centered loving kind self-sacrificial but others of our motivations are selfish unkind ambitious Envious, yucky, to use a word of Namile. Yucky. And our motivations are sometimes mixed. 
And so sometimes our hearts deceive us. Uh, let's read another scripture in um, James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted, and he himself tempts no one. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Yes, we do get tempted by Satan, but actually Satan only has room to maneuver if he can work with our own evil desires. But if we don't desire evil, Satan's got nothing to tempt. And so it's by our own desires. And some of our desires are good and godly. Some of them are not. The problem is that they are sometimes mixed. Let's read Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so, there's a wrestle in our hearts. In our hearts, it's my own heart, it's one and the same heart, conflicting motivations, and the encouragement of Scripture is don't follow your heart, follow the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. If you follow the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Now, that all sounds probably fairly basic if you've been serving the Lord for a little while. I'm going to add another level of complexity on it. The thing is this, that when the Holy Spirit leads us, it's often internally where my heart is, right? So if you've already committed in your, in, your, in your life, I'm not going to follow my heart, I'm going to follow Jesus. But even when you've made that decision, sometimes you're not sure if it's Jesus or if it's my heart. <laughs> Ever been there? And so the question that I want to judge this morning and help us to navigate is, how can I judge whether it actually truly is God? leading me, or if it's my untrustworthy heart. So if you are writing notes, not many people do, because we, we all got very good memories, but if you do take notes, and if your mind is as untrustworthy as your heart, I would suggest you take these three points down. I'm going to give some very general principles of when you're weighing up a prophecy. How do we test prophecy? And then I'm going to apply that to how we test what we feel God's saying to me. Because it's quite similar. Testing and weighing prophecy from other people. But then also testing and weighing up what I feel the Lord is saying to me. Not via prophecy, but just by the Holy Spirit. These are three general principles which I would encourage you to follow when you're trying to weigh whether it is the Holy Spirit or whether it's my faulty heart. Number one, you weigh up what you think you heard with Scripture. Scripture are the boundary markers for where we can go and where we cannot go. And if I feel God telling me to do something which contradicts Scripture, it's not God. Because God is not double-minded. What He has revealed in the Word, in the Scripture, will never contradict what He tells you to do personally. Now that sounds fairly simple, right? Okay, so if the Lord tells me to do something, I look at the Scriptures, okay, simple. Black and white, right? No. 
Even that isn't actually that simple. Why? Because when the heart wants what the heart wants. And it's interesting, when you've set your heart on something, when you read the scriptures, suddenly everything looks gray, which looked very black and white before. And then you suddenly discover that there's ten different interpretations for this verse. So which one am I going to choose? What do you think? Probably the one which kind of lines up most with where your heart was going, right? Right? One of the things you probably know this about me is I love theology and I, I, I get a lot of theological questions and I wrestle with a lot of false theology. It's just part of the nature of my gift. If I knew what I knew, know now 10 years ago about how many black and white scriptures are actually considered by many to be gray, I'd probably stop reading my Bible because basically the whole Bible is gray. But actually it's not. Actually it's not gray. The, the thing that makes it gray is flesh in my heart. Flesh in my heart. So if you want something really badly and then you go and do a Bible study, All I'm saying is you might want to get an accountability partner to come and do that Bible study with you. Because suddenly you're going to see a whole different interpretation to Scripture that you've never even seen before. All of a sudden. And that's because our hearts are deceitful. Number two is that oftentimes the witness of the Spirit on the inside will be faith. So I mentioned the story about when God was leading me to go into teaching. It seemed absolutely ridiculous It seemed like it doesn't make any sense at all. But I felt this strange faith stirring up in me. This excitement, this faith, this courage to do something that was contrary to my nature. And that is often what the witness of the Spirit looks like. It's this excitement of the Holy Spirit within me that's testifying to the truth of what I feel God's saying. But you can imagine how subjective that is, right? That's not a perfect test, but it is one of the tests. So if Scripture's lining up, if I'm feeling a faith stirring in my heart, could be God. The third thing we'd, we'd almost always encourage people to do, if it's a big decision, speak to one of your leaders who know you well. Why? Anyone tell me why? Say? Because they will often know what's in your heart. Right? They will often know what's in your heart. And so even before they pray about it, many times, like nine times, maybe not, maybe not put a number on, on it, but oftentimes when people come to me and they, they, they say, this is what I'm deciding on, this is what I feel the Spirit's saying, I'll be able to tell you, actually, you know what? I, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I think, <laughs> I, I think that's just what your heart wants. Oftentimes. And, it's got, and so part of the test of discerning the Lord's will for my life is knowing what's in my heart. And I want to say, if you're making a very big decision, a life-altering decision, and you want it really, really bad, that's when you most need friends and responsible leaders to come alongside you who are able to pray with you, trust with you, talk with you, who are not as invested in this decision as you are. I want to read a story, now coming back to that prophetic word, about systems versus the, the... State of my heart. Sometimes as Christians we rely on systems. Even systems of accountability, dare I say. To think that's going to keep us safe. But systems actually don't keep us safe. It's a heart that earnestly desires to walk in the ways of God. That will help you to navigate your way. I'm not saying it's either or. Some accountability partners are good. But 
it, it frustrates me that every time a, there's a spectacular failure of some religious leader in the world, some spectacular moral failure, people will say, yeah, but how are his systems of accountability? You know, if he had a better system of accountability, he wouldn't have fallen into sin. Can I tell you right now, that's a lie. There's no system that will keep you or me from sin. It's a heart that's positioned to follow God. That prayer which Jesus prayed, Father, your will, not mine, before any system will help you. Amen? Does that make sense? If you don't believe me, let's read a story, and you're going to see how true that actually is. We're going to read the story now of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. If you've got two sons, I commend those names to you. Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Ahab is very famous for all the wrong reasons. Jehoshaphat is famous for all the right reasons. Ahab is the one whose wife Jezebel, ring a bell, Jezebel, she's more famous than he is. He married to Jezebel, also famous for all the wrong reasons. If somebody calls you a Jezebel in church, it's generally got negative connotations. I've never been called a Jezebel, thankfully, in all my years following the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Ahab was the king of Israel. So the nation of Israel got split. I'm not sure if you know that. If you don't know Israel's church history, that's a thing. It was one nation, but it split. It became Judah and Israel. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Ahab was the king of Israel. And they had a common enemy. I think it was Syria, if I'm not mistaken. And so Ahab went to Jehoshaphat, and he wanted to make an alliance and go out to make war against Judah as two nations allied together. That's the backstory. Here's the, here we're going to read. I'm just going to pick up the story here. Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Sound familiar? That's a good accountability partner right there. eh? We're going to go out to battle. That's quite a big decision. There are thousands of people's lives at stake here. Let's pray about it. Amen? What a wise thing to do. Let's pray about it. Did we, uh, did we skip a line? Just go back quick. Let me just see if we missed a line there. Okay, we didn't. Okay, we're going to skip now uh, to a little bit later in the story. Next, next line. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. 400 prophets. That's quite a... We talk about wisdom in the council of many. That's a, that's a lot of wisdom right there. 400 prophets. Would you say he ticked all the accountability boxes right there? That's, that's above and beyond the call of duty as far as I'm concerned. I've never consulted 400 people before a big decision in my life. Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, hey, unanimous, 400 people, feel a witness in the spirit. Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. The answer is yes. God says yes, go for it. Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord? Wow, 401 prophets. 400 is not enough. Is there not another one? I'll tell you why I think he asked that. I think he doubted Ahab's intentions here. 
we'll get, as you read the story a little bit later, you, you can see why he probably asked that question. Is there no other prophets that maybe should have been included in this gathering, which maybe didn't get included? Here's the answer to the question. Next line. The king of Israel said to yeah, there is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord Micah, but I hate him. Here's, here's why I hate Micah. He never prophesies good concerning me. He's that guy, right? Always peeing on my fire, so to speak. He didn't get included in the 400 prophets for good reasons. He just never got the invite. So Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, okay, bring Micah, bring quickly Micah, the son of Imla. Then we're going to skip to the next part of the story. We got the next one. The messenger who went to summon Micah said to him, now listen to what he says to Micah. Look, you're invited, but on certain conditions. We do want your perspective, but here's a few important prerequisites. The words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. When he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answers sarcastically. Go up and triumph, Micah says. The Lord will give into the hand of the king. We'll give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, this is now him asking a little bit more closely, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Next line. And he said, I saw, this is now him speaking truthfully, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, let each return to his home in peace. This is my favorite part. King of Israel says to Joshua, did I not tell you, didn't I say to you, that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. There he's just gone and confirmed everything I said about this guy. He's that guy. That's why we didn't invite him in the first place. Now you've involved him into this situation. Now it's confusing. Because you've got 400 saying yes, and you've got this guy saying, no, you're, gonna, you're going to lose. So it's, the story gets even more interesting. I love these kind of stories. They should make a TV series on this kind of stuff. So the king of Ahab decides he's going to hedge his bets. 400 against one. There is an outside chance that this is not going to go well for me. So he disguises himself. He does go out to battle incognito. He dresses up a very good friend as Ahab. And puts him in his chariot so that if someone tries to kill Ahab, they kill the wrong guy. That must have been a very good friend. Would you do that for me, Abba? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> and the king Ahab goes into battle and a stray arrow kills him anyway. And the guy that was incognito pretending to be Ahab, he, he, he presumably makes it through the battle unscathed. And so the words of the prophet come true even though he tried to hedge his bets. Now, why do I share this story with you? It's a great story, isn't it? Because I think it's such a relatable story. For, I mean, just to throw in a cat in amongst the pigeons. Have you ever had a big decision to make 
And you know the right thing to do is to ask some perspective, some leaders. But you kind of know which leaders are going to say what, right? Especially if you tell the story just so, <laughs> right? And you kind of know which leaders, to, to quote Ahab, never have a good prophecy for me. You know, they always want to pee on my fire, so to speak. And, and the thing is that our hearts haven't changed. We are the same as Ahab and Jehoshaphat. But do you see Jehoshaphat's intent in the story? Jehoshaphat really actually does want to know what God has to say. Did you discern that in him? He really does actually want to know what God has to say. And he wants to know even if it disagrees with what I've already thought I want to do. And that's the danger between systems of accountability and a heart that is inclined to follow Christ. A system will never keep you safe. It has to start with a heart that says, God, I know my heart. I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow you, Jesus. And if you're going a different, a different direction to where I was going to go, I want to know. I, I want to know where you're leading me, even if it's uncomfortable for me. Amen? Because if you don't have that heart, it doesn't matter if you, if you tick all the boxes. And I, I share this with you because as a church, we have a, a, a value of accountability in our congregation. It's a value that we have. But the problem is that values so quickly become systems. And if you have a system but you lose the heart, it means nothing for you. As a, as a people, we must never lose the heart that, God, I want to follow you. Like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, God. Because I believe that your ways are perfect. And that the road which looks more difficult to me and less comfortable for me, if it's your way, will produce life in me. Does that make sense? doesn't make sense. We can never lose that heart. If you lose that heart, it doesn't matter whether you try and justify yourself theologically or prophetically or whatever other, you, you, you're already on the wrong direction. And so there's a danger of ticking boxes when our hearts are already going astray. Number two, Ahab, before he consulted with the Lord, had already decided what he was going to do. He only sought the Lord because Jehoshaphat wanted to. But Ahab, in his own mind, he had already decided what he was going to do. There is a danger, even about praying about a major decision, if you've already made up your mind. Number one, because prophecy sometimes prophesies into what's in your heart. And sometimes prophesies what's in your heart, not necessarily what God's will is for your life. This is a classic example of that. These prophets all prophesied, yes, go for it. Why? They were picking up what was in his sinful heart, not what was on God's heart. And I have had multiple occasions in my life where the same thing has happened, where people have picked up in prophesying over me that actually prayed over me what they thought was God's will, but they were actually picking up what was in my heart. And it was actually very unhelpful for me. And so if you seek the Lord, but you've already made up your heart, be careful. Even prophecy... Now, when I say even prophecy, I'm talking about 400 prophets. And what were they prophesying? They were just prophesying what was already in Ahab's heart. And I can guarantee when he, off went, when he went off to war, he was convinced that the Lord was with him. But actually his heart was already gone astray. 
If you, I mentioned already, if you, if you already have made up your mind and then you go and do a Bible study, be careful. Be careful. You want to take an accountability partner with you if you're going to do a Bible study. If you've already made up your mind about what the Bible should or shouldn't say about something, and then you go and do a Bible study, you're already on the wrong path. Another thing that I would encourage you, it is good to seek counsel from other people, but it's important. I will deliberately go and ask for perspective from people on a big decision on my life who I think will tell me something I don't want to hear. I deliberately do it. Even when I'm pastoring people, if I get perspective from other elders, I'll deliberately go to the other elder that I, that, that thinks, that's going to think differently to me. Because I know my natural bent. And I don't want somebody to tell me what I already think is right. I want to hear the voice of God. Amen? And so I'll deliberately go seek the counsel of somebody who's going to probably tell me what I don't want to hear. The last thing I want to pick out from this story. Ahab actually had a long track record of bumping heads with prophets. Let me give you a little uh, you can just put up 1 Kings 18 verse 17. This is earlier in the story when in that time Elijah was the guy. Elijah was the prophet. <laughs> and Elijah had called, uh, a, he said that God was going to bring about uh, a drought over all the land because, because God was judging the idolatry in the land. So Ahab loved to go after idols because of his wife's influence. And God was judging the nation and through Elijah, Elijah prophesied it's not going to rain. And he left it undetermined. And then Elijah was told by God to go and meet with Ahab because I've got a message for Ahab. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> what, a way to, what, a, what a way to greet uh, a man with spiritual authority. You troubler of Israel. Suppose you've got more good news for me, eh, Elijah? Come to give me more good news, have you? And so Micah wasn't the first uh, prophet that Ahab took issue with. There was a bit of a consistent pattern in his life. And I want to say to you, if there is a bit of a consistent pattern in your life, where every time the leaders come to try and bring some truth, you're like, you know, Troubler of Israel, come to rob my peace again, I suppose. Eh? We can read Scripture, but unless we apply it to our own lives, it's meaningless, right? That's why God gave us Scripture. And so, for some reason, known only to God, He's chosen to often speak through people. And sometimes He'll use the people who rub you the wrong way to tell you something that's true. And if our hearts are not postured in humility... We can really miss what God wants to say to our life and tell us sometimes things we need to hear but don't necessarily want to hear. Does that make sense? I am also speaking from years of personal experience on this issue. If I keep banging heads with a particular spiritual leader in my life, I do ask myself, Lord, am I having an Ahab moment here? <laughs> Is it me? It's good to at least ask the question. And so I want to close by saying that God has called us to be a people who keep in step with his Holy Spirit. 
But in following Christ, in following the Holy Spirit, the most important prerequisite is a heart that says, Lord, your will be done, not my will. I genuinely want to know what your heart is for this situation, Lord God. Because I know that as I walk in your ways, there will be life. I will walk into the fullness of what you called me to as a person. Sometimes I think it's fear. It's fear that we're going to hear something that I don't want to hear, that I'm going to actually forfeit my destiny in God. But actually the opposite is true. If you follow your heart, you won't walk in everything that God's called you to. It's only as you genuinely take an interest in what is God's will for my life that I'll actually walk in the purposes. And it does require huge amounts of faith. I know that this sounds like a great like sort of Bible study, but actually what it comes down to is faith. Lord, do I trust you with my life? Do I trust you with my life? That despite all Satan's plans for my life, your purposes will prevail if I genuinely listen for the sound of your voice. And so, yes, we, we have a culture of accountability in Joshua, and that's amazing. Or not, depending on where our hearts are at. Because systems are not going to keep us in the will of God unless our hearts are positioned to follow the Lord. And so, maybe let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to just confess right now that we do trust you, Lord. That your ways are perfect, Lord. And we do believe, Lord Jesus, that as we walk in your will for our lives, in the small decisions, in the big decisions, that you will lead us into eternal life, fullness of life. I just want to encourage you, if there is a wrestle in your heart right now, where you actually find it difficult to say you trust God. I, I, I confess there have been times in my walk with God where you know, it was hard. I felt like God had disappointed me on several occasions and hadn't come through on his side of the deal. And I actually found it really hard to trust God. But I, I want to encourage you this morning. He's good. His, his ways are perfect. And yes, they sometimes lead us through valleys. And, so, and sometimes he leads us through suffering. But his intentions are redemptive and they are good. And as you look back on your life, you'll be able to say with me, God, you've been good. You've been good to me. Yes, this journey has sometimes taken some unexpected twists, but you've been good. You've been faithful. You've been kind. Second thing I, wanna, I feel the Lord challenging us on is actually don't trust your heart. Sometimes we unconsciously begin to trust our own intuition, our own heart direction, when the Bible actually doesn't give us any warrant to trust our heart. And so, Lord, if that's you right now, just in your heart, quietly before the Lord, just confess, Lord, I, I, I do believe what your word says. My heart is, is deceitful, Lord. I choose to follow you, to trust you, rather than my own intuition, rather than my own heart, rather than my own judgment. And God, I choose right now, I believe God's calling us to choose to trust Him with my life. So right now, just do business in your heart with the Lord.
In many ways, this is the most important part of the message, is the part where we come before the Lord and say, God, I hear you. I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. Would you forgive my unbelief, Lord? I feel like just even as we're praying, if there's a specific area of your life, sometimes we trust God with 75% of our lives, but there's one area where I maybe feel disappointed by God, where I really struggle to trust Him. And that's actually where we're most vulnerable. That's where we're most in danger of following our hearts. I want to encourage you right now. Yield to the Lord. In that area, tell Him, Lord, I don't always understand your ways, but I choose to trust you with this area of my life. If it's with your finances, with your work, with your career. Tell him, Lord, I trust you with my work. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my future. If it's with your kids, Lord, I trust you with my kids. Help me to make faith-based decisions, God. If it's in the area of relationships, marriage, whether you're single or you're married, Lord Jesus, I trust you with my relationships. I trust that your plans and your purposes for me are good. Help me to walk in faith, Lord. Maybe just as we close, I just felt to say something as a reminder. You can... uh, can open your eyes. Just felt to, uh, one of the things, it's really important for you to know if you're part of this church family. We don't rely on systems. We put systems in place if we really need them. We teach values. So even this morning, I'm not teaching the how of accountability. Did you notice? I don't think I said anything about the how. I'm, te- I'm teaching the Why? Why do we open up our lives? Why do we ask for people's perspective? We don't have a system of accountability. We also don't have a system of discipleship in Josh Shen. We don't have a program for discipleship. But the onus is on me to say, God, I know I need this. I'm going to seek it out. Amen? Does that make sense? Even the onus is on me to take responsibility for my salvation, to walk it out and invite these things. I... For me personally, I said this the other night, if I relied on the system of accountability, I'd fall through the cracks. Lucali, I'd fall through the cracks. We don't have a system to keep me accountable. I seek it out. I actively seek it out. We don't have a system of discipleship. If we did, again, I'd be very neglected spiritually. I seek it out. I want to encourage you to do the same. Yes, we have communities, and, so, and oftentimes there'll be a relationship of discipleship with you know, community leaders or others in your community. Yes, we have elders overseeing communities. Maybe it happens there. But if it doesn't, I seek it out. Seek it out. Amen? This is, the, this is what God's called us to. And so we don't have systems. What we have is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we have his word. And we're going to walk it out to the very best of our abilities as we follow the Lord. Amen? That's cool. Let's see.
I think that's a wrap. <laughs> God's done what he wants to do this morning. Yeah. Uh, sure. I'll share a scripture here. Um, so I just felt Ezekiel 36 verse 25. It says, um, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your un, um, uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you um, a heart of flesh. Um, and I was just feeling like with what Luke was saying about like it being about the position of a heart. But also it doesn't just end with recognizing it. Because often our hearts can be in the wrong position. But like God invites us to come to him with that wrong position and ask him to shift it and ask him to change it. Um, so yeah, it's just encouragement, like, even if we have hearts of stone in some areas, or like our whole heart is a stone, like God, God can completely transform it, completely shift it, so we can literally bring whatever state our hearts into Him, and ask Him to help us be changed, yeah. Where's Lisa? Is Lisa with the baby somewhere? Uh, yeah, Lisa also brought a, a, kind of just prophetically felt the scripture of you know, obedience to God is loving each other. It's loving, it's loving the sheep. It's taking care of the sheep. And so I think we actually landed the same place last week. Is like, let's go and love each other. Let's go and build intentionally with each other. Because it's, it's in those relationships that it's going to be easy to, to ask for, for input, you know. Um, let's have coffees in the week and let's, yeah, let's really... Love each other. All right. Thank you, Lord.